Hi there and welcome to Get Started, the beginner's guide to the stock market by My Wall Street. I'm James and I'm the head of content and publishing with My Wall Street. In this five-part podcast series, I'm joined by Rory, the head analyst here at My Wall Street, as we explore how anyone can make their first move towards becoming a successful investor by following just a few simple steps. The episodes in this podcast are based on My Wall Street's Learn app, a free educational tool that has been downloaded more than 2 million times worldwide. As you listen along, it would be helpful to download the Learn app for yourself and follow along with the lessons as we get into them in more depth and give you some extra tips and insights. If you listen into these five episodes, less than three hours in total, I can guarantee you that you'll have everything you need to just, as the title says, get started. Hi folks, not only do we want to help you get started investing with this educational podcast, we want to go a step further and get you closer to your first portfolio of stocks. We've been picking market-beating stocks for over 10 years now with a strategy based on long-term mindful investing. So we're giving you access to one free stock from our extensive library that we've built and added to over the years. This is an easy-to-digest report of a high-quality business we believe has all the characteristics to be a long-term winner. That's right, a free stock pick just for you. Simply head over to mywallstreet.com to find out more or click the link in the show notes for this episode. So in the last episode, we went through some of the concepts and ideas that a new investor will most commonly meet in the market. Everything from as basic as what a stock is, to things like ticker symbols, company size, penny stocks, everything to margins and short selling. In this episode, I want to talk a bit more about how we as analysts analyze companies and find great companies to invest in. I suppose the first question is, you know, how do you put that investing hat on? How do you go out there and, and find companies that you might be interested in investing or might be a potential good investment? So I suppose the first thing to note is that there are lots of different ways to invest. Yeah. Being an investor is really kind of a journey into discovering what your own style is and what, what works best for you. Um, I'm going to talk about our style of investing. I think it's the best method, particularly for younger investors trying to get started. And it's worked very well for us over the last five, six years. Um, but broadly speaking, investing is kind of split into what's called value investing and growth investing. And I actually find those terms a little bit reductive, but let's roll with it for now. Okay. Value investing, I suppose, broadly is the idea that you're trying to find businesses that are currently undervalued so that you yeah. buy them for less than what their intrinsic value is and you wait until the, the market recognizes that value. Um, growth investing is a little bit more about trying to find businesses that you believe are going to continue to grow and become much larger, more profitable than they are today we would certainly lean more towards growth investing than value investing i think really our method is based around the writings of a guy called peter lynch uh, i think the vast majority of people would have heard of warren buffett uh, but probably not lynch and lynch is i would say definitely up there with the most influential investors of the last hundred years yeah and lynch argued that individual investors could actually outperform most professional investors by just kind of observing the world around them and investing in companies that they believed in for the long term. And he wrote a whole book about this. It's called uh, One Up on Wall Street. I'd strongly recommend it. It's kind of required reading for anyone who comes into our company that you read this book. Yeah, it's pretty much put into the hand of every single new employee. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's the Bible of this business, really. And Lynch advised would-be investors to start out by kind of investigating companies that they were interacting with on a daily basis. So Ask things like, what brands do you like? Um, what food is always in your fridge? What website are you using every day? You know, if you like the product, the chances are other people like the product too. 
Um, and you can look around you know, your friends and family as well. You know, if you have kids, you know, are they paying a particular video game yeah. uh, 10 hours a day? <laughs> are they shopping on particular e-commerce sites? Are their friends talking about this new coffee chain that's all, there's always queues around the corner? You know, first of all, do that and look into these businesses and see if they're public. A lot of them won't be, but quite a few of them will be. Um, you can also use knowledge from your own job, for example. You know, if you work in IT, you probably have more knowledge about cybersecurity than the average Joe. Yeah. So you, you'll have kind of insights into what companies are out there providing the best solutions. And you can look in and find out if they're public. And if they are public, it possibly means you can invest in them. This doesn't mean you should invest in them just yet. Now, they don't just like invest in a company because you see it's got queues around the corner. That's not investing. But, it, you know, if you start thinking like this, you'll start building lists of businesses that you are interested in. Um, now, like, you know, that's not the only way to find great businesses. Obviously, in this kind of information age, there's loads of information on places like Twitter and other social media, as well as stock picking services. But I think the main thing is that you learn about the business first before you even begin to start thinking about investing in a business. You need to learn what's going on with the business and figure out if it is a potential investment for you. So you need to really understand the business, understand what's going on. Don't think of it as a ticker symbol that might go up or down. Figure out what's going on in the business and that's kind of your first place to start. So that's kind of the process of building the the long list, if you want to call it, of, of companies to maybe do a little bit more digging in and even find out if they are a public company that you can invest in. And just as you were talking there, you know, it reminded me of we're at a stage now in my Wall Street where a lot of the members of our community, you know, who work in varying different sectors across the board, they, they get in contact with us and say, hey, you know, in, you know, in IT security, we actually use this company quite a lot and we find them really good. And we use that ourselves as a as a good indication of, okay, maybe it's worth looking into this particular company a bit more, seeing as an expert in the industry is saying they're very good. Yeah, absolutely. Use what's around you. Use, use the resources at your disposal. Talk to people you know. Talk to people you don't know about, yeah. about things, you know. Um, you know, a lot, sometimes a lot of what I do is if I look at a company and I see it's in, let's say it's in the banking sector, I call friends I know who work in the banking sector and ask them, have you heard about this company? What do you guys think of them? And sometimes you'll get, you'll find out incredible insights from them. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's a term called scuttlebush that was coined by Philip Fisher, another kind of investing legend, which was just, you know, ask around, find out what's going on, you know, yeah. be interested in things, always be asking questions and, and, and be curious about what's happening. It can be as little as, you know, sitting at a bar and you see a lot of people drinking a, a, a beer brand that you haven't seen before. Find out who owns that, that brand. <laughs> find out what, if they're a, a public company, if that's a big part of their business. You could be... A, you know, that could be the first step to a really good investment. And I would imagine a lot of people in banking would be so surprised you're actually asking them and interested <laughs> in their job. They'll tell you anything. So once we have this long list of companies that we kind of want to investigate, there are a few things that we kind of look for. I suppose a few first ports of call that we look for to see if this might be a viable investment opportunity or not. One of the first ones I want to talk about is quite a surprising one, and that's company culture. Rory, how much does a company culture indicate the potential of an investment so again this is this is down to a kind of a personal investing style for me it's very important it's one of the the, the first things I, I investigate when i when i um consider a company yeah um company culture is a term used to refer to kind of the company's overall philosophy and that comes down to how it treats all its stakeholders not just its shareholders but it, how it treats its customers how it treats its employees how it deals with social and environmental issues how it deals like what impact it has on the community that it operates in and we always try to invest in companies with good company culture so 
a very good way, a very good starting point for me is uh, I look at kind of employee reviews. There's a site called glassdoor.com, which is anonymous uh, feedback from employees about about the company yeah. and about the, the CEO. And these are actually incredibly insightful. You know, like the, the amount of information you can garnish from this is, is huge. And think about it this way, you know, you, everyone has been in jobs where everything things are going well. The mm. company's succeeding. They're hitting their targets all the time. The employees are getting raises. Those employees are typically very happy, right? <laughs> things are going well in the company. Yeah. You tend to get happy employees. Things are going badly in the company. You're missing your targets. People are being let go. People are, are getting pay freezes or whatever. Employees tend to be upset. And so you can actually get a huge amount of information about how a company is performing just by reading what's going on with the employees uh, and getting a sense of how the employees feel about the business and how, and how they feel about the CEO. Do they respect the CEO? Do they think he makes good decisions? This is hugely valuable information when you're investing in a business. You know, you wouldn't want to invest in a business that you wouldn't want to work at. And that's what Glassdoor was kind of designed for. <laughs> Glassdoor yeah. was designed to help people make good choices about what businesses they wanted to go work for. And I suppose it comes back to that idea of, we spoke about in the last episode of, you know, being an owner in a business too and having that mindset shift you don't want to own a business that you know employees hate working there is maybe you know contributing a net negative to the world you want to own businesses that you're proud to own yeah absolutely it's very important and and it goes beyond just like the employees as well you want to you want to own companies that are kind of trying to do good in the world and that's you know that's one of these kind of ethical issues that people will get into now where mm. some people would say you know amazon is a terrible horrible company i would never invest in them and other people wouldn't feel that way so that's something that comes down to kind of personal uh, your personal morals um but it's you know i would think it's important to at least try and seek out businesses that are attempting to do good in the world or attempting to to improve the communities they operate in and then you get into things like, you know, the customers as well. Culture also spreads to how a company treats its customers. Happy customers tell their friends and family about a company, and this creates new customers. Yeah. Um, if you find a company with kind of evangelical customers, people who are constantly, you know, promoting the company and talking about the company and saying how great the products are, that's typically a very good sign. Uh, you, you wouldn't go to a restaurant that had terrible reviews. You know, why would you invest in a company that had terrible reviews from its customers? Yeah. Um, and there's really so much information out there online now that, that there's no real excuse to be to be investing in companies that are that are you know aren't getting these kind of great reviews. Um, a good kind of starter point, if you can, is is try and find out a company's net promoter score or NPS. Yeah. This is pretty standard measurement of how likely a customer is to promote a company to others. And you'll find companies that have done particularly well in the stock market over the last five, 10 years tend to have had very high net promoter scores. So, so you know, super high net promoter scores. Uh, you'll find the companies like Apple, um, companies like Tesla, companies like Peloton. These companies consistently have very high net promoter scores, have very good reviews from their customers. And they tend to do well in the stock market because they tend to generate more profits than companies that have poor net promoter scores. Remember, folks, head on over to mywallstreet.com to get access to our free stock analysis. We've picked one outstanding business from our extensive back catalogue and we're giving it to you for free. And of course, a major part of a company's culture is its leader and, and how the company is actually run from the top down. How much emphasis do we place on a company's leader in, in assessing an investment? Yeah, again, very high on the list up there with company culture is the leadership of the business. It's one of those things that doesn't show up on the balance sheet. You know, yeah. it's 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 not a numerical thing, and um, and so much time in in kind of investing in Wall Street is is dedicated to kind of looking for patterns and looking for charts and looking at valuation metrics. If you find really good leaders, visionary leaders, 
these are the kind of people who break those patterns. These are the kind of people who deliver hypernormal results. Um, and to me, a visionary leader is someone who identifies an opportunity and then has both kind of the personal you know, strength and the business acumen to go out and seize that opportunity. Yeah. Think of someone like Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos. These are people who fundamentally change the world. You know, the way we live is vastly different because mm. of these these people. Um, Jobs, you know, he's a divisive figure. Some would call him a kind of modern day Da Vinci. Others would say he was just a really good marketer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, during his second tenure at Apple, Apple stock rose 2,500%. Now, not every business leader needs to be at the kind of jobs Bezos level. Yeah. Uh, you, you you won't find many of them around. They're, they're, they don't come along quite regularly. But visionary leaders can operate within their own specific industry. Just people who are out there looking to disrupt their industry, to make a lasting impact on, on the way a certain business is done or the way a certain industry performs. And, and, you know, there's plenty of those around. You can find those all over the place in, in smaller industries that wouldn't be well known. And, you know, if you ever, you know, I think about if you ever watch Shark Tank, right, or Dragon's yeah. Den in, in the UK is the UK equivalent. You imagine a person coming into you and saying to you, you know, I want you to put your hard earned money behind me and my business. That's, you know, you need to decide yourself, is that the kind of person you want to put your money on? Because that is what's happening. You are literally giving your money over to that person yeah. to run. <laughs> you're, you're saying, I'm not going to run my own money. You're going to run my money for me. Here's the money. So you need to trust that person. You need to believe in that person. You need to think that this person is going to make you money over yeah. the long term. There's a term we often use um, called backing the jockey when, when a company has a particularly good or, or charismatic leader that we kind of nearly almost base most of our investment thesis on the leader of the company and and the company itself is also important but we believe so much in the leader that we're backing the jockey we're giving him our money and say here make me a return on this yeah i mean warren buffett i think had a a, a term once where he said or a phrase where he said uh, invest in companies that even an idiot could run yeah because at some day an idiot will <laughs> um, I don't believe I don't agree with that I and mean, it's great I mean, if you can find those businesses that are so good anyone could run them well done to you but I yeah. I prefer to invest in businesses with really strong leaders out there who, who I believe in and there's so many ways to you know there's no easy way to figure it out you know there's no there's no set thing that you can check to say right this is a good leader or not but there's loads of ways to connect with with business leaders today you know a lot of them are on Twitter most of them appear on kind of television interviews that you can now stream. They're available online. Loads of them go onto podcasts to talk about the business, how they built the business. Um, yeah. So as an investor, you should absolutely be looking out to find out about the CEOs of those businesses, the founders of those businesses, hearing about the journey, hearing about the, the challenges that they face, hearing what they have to say and what their ideas are for the future, and then decide whether you want to you know, put your money behind it. I, I can't imagine investing in a business where I didn't have some idea of who the leader of the business was and what their kind of outlook on life was and what their outlook on business was because it just doesn't make sense to me. Maybe just don't pay too much attention to Elon Musk's Twitter account. Um, let's move on then kind of outside the company. So obviously, you know, with every successful company, there's a handful of competitors that are there looking to kind of take their market share, or take their business. How do we figure out 
how much of an advantage a company has in the competitive landscape and, and how much they can kind of protect against, you know, people trying to challenge them for their, their business and their market share. Competition is a funny thing because in some ways people, uh, it's it's one of the most basic things that we all understand. If yeah. you've ever done a business class, you always hear about competition, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, you know, it's it's the it's it's the most kind of, it's business 101. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes people take that too far when it comes to investing and think that just because there's competition out there, a business is or isn't going to succeed. Yeah, I remember before, Rory, you made a good point that, you know, people often get bearish on companies once Amazon enters their space. And you made the point that, well, if Amazon is interested in this industry, that means it's it's a viable industry. There's a lot of money to be made in this industry. So it could be seen as a bullish sign too. Absolutely. And, I, you know, first of all, it's, there's very few industries where there's just a winner take all. Yeah. Most businesses have at least kind of two or three main players and then a couple of smaller players or niche players. And some of them have, you know, niche, you can have a very good business that doesn't, that only captures a very small percentage of a, of a market because mm. that's, that's what you're good at. Um, so there's a kind of uh, balancing act here between worrying too much about competition and not worrying enough about competition. Uh, the first thing I would think of is, you know, when you're investing, it's not enough just to find a good business, right? You couldn't say, all right, there's a great business. I like that business. But if you're investing for five to 10 years, you need to find businesses that are going to last that amount of time for so you want you know if you're investing for 10 years you want to make sure that business is still going to be around in 10 years yeah um and if you find a business where you let's say you have a business that's making a lot of money somebody else is going to try and do what you're doing that's how competition works when competition comes in it means a company has to do something that they don't necessarily want to do now that can mean it has to spend more money on advertising yeah or it can mean it has to hire more employees to compete or it means it has to cut prices whatever it is as a business, it's things you don't want to do. It cuts into your profits, right? So what you want to do is find a business that's not only a good business, but has some form of competitive edge, okay? It's otherwise known as a sustainable competitive advantage, or some people just call it a moat. Yeah. So this idea of a moat around a castle, something that protects that business from people coming in and, and basically just doing what you're doing. So one of the very good questions you should ask when you when you're investing before in a business before you start before you're investing really is yeah. say what's to stop someone else doing that what's is there something is there a moat is there a competitive advantage that's going to prevent another company doing exactly what this company is doing so a moat yeah it's something that protects your business from competitors and there's very there's many different ways for businesses to either have a moat or to develop a moat over time uh, one of the best known ones i think everyone would be aware of is brand so having a strong brand is a very good moat. Um, now, with brand, it's important to remember that just because you have a brand doesn't mean you have a strong brand. Uh, I would classify a strong brand as anything that either gives you pricing power. So it means you can charge more for your product than yeah. other people can. Or that's something that lowers search costs. So when I say lower search costs, I mean that people naturally grab your brand rather than trying out all your competitor brands. Two examples that come to mind immediately, the pricing power is definitely Apple and I suppose lowering, lowering search costs is, is Google. Yeah, there's two very good examples. Apple, I mean, is a perfect example of uh, pricing power. They charge twice as much as their competitors for essentially a smartphone uh, and they get away with it year after year because people believe Apple is the premium brand in the space. Um, Google, yeah, no, most people don't go and try every single search engine out there. They just go to Google. Yeah. Coca-Cola is another really good example of a company that lowers search costs. If you want a cola, you're not going to go into a, a, a shop and go, mm, which one of these colas will I try? You're probably going to grab Coca-Cola. Yeah, or Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> or Pepsi if you're uh, a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, if you like Pepsi, you like Pepsi, whatever. It's, um, You're just yeah, wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. So, yeah, that's one of the kind of the very obvious forms of competitive advantage. It stops people. Someone can't just go and start a cola company tomorrow. They can, but it's probably not going to be successful because they're going to have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to build up a brand so people actually try the product in the first place. And meanwhile, Coca-Cola has worldwide distribution, re- great relationships with retailers that like they're going to they're going to be able to undercut you on price as well. So yeah. cost advantages is another is another form of mode. If a company is able to do something cheaper than their competitors, either because they're much bigger or they've been at it much longer, that takes a long time for someone to compete against. It takes a lot of, a lot of time for someone to develop those relationships, to develop those methodologies. Um, a network effect is another very powerful mode. Uh, a network effect occurs when the more people using something makes it better. Um, a really good example is Facebook. Facebook is, you know, has been the leader in social media for the la- over 10 years. There's been hundreds of other companies have tried to compete with Facebook and the vast yeah. majority have failed. A couple have obviously carved out kind of their own niche products. But the reason Facebook continues to survive, even though most people, you know, if you ask them, say they hate Facebook and they're not using Facebook, but they have all these properties that people are using, is that a social network is only powerful if lots of people are using it. Yeah. No one wants to join a social network where they don't know anyone. Um, So the more people that use Facebook, the more appealing it becomes to the next person. And that just keeps going and keeps going and creates this kind of virtuous circle where it just grows over and over and over again. Yeah. That's a very good example of a most that, that you see that in payment systems as well. MasterCard and Visa are, are very powerful because lots of vendors use them. That means lots of customers use them. That means more vendors use them. That means lots of customers. It just yeah, keeps going around. It's like around a self-fulfilling prophecy. Pretty much. Yeah. And if you can get a good network effect going, it becomes a kind of flywheel that kind of consistently generates new users and new customers. Um, one, and one a moat that we see an awful lot in kind of enterprise software is one called stickiness. So how sticky is your product? How hard is it for customers to change from using your product to another product? Uh, if you think of kind of enterprise software, let's say I'm a small company and, you know, uh, another company comes in and, and sells me, you know, uh, something like Atlassian, something like uh, the Jira software for doing project management or something. And, yeah. and, I, and I buy it in and I, I have it on all the computers and I train all my staff on how to use it and people get used to using it. It's very disruptive for me to change to another provider. Someone might come along and say, oh, I have the same product, it's cheaper. And I go, okay, but like the whole business is kind of running on this now. If I, yeah. if I take this out, it's going to be really disruptive. And particularly with kind of software that takes in customer data and things like that, lots of companies would be very reluctant to, to, to move off a product that could potentially lead to kind of data loss or um, security uh, flaws in the company. So stickiness is something we look for a lot in, in kind of enterprise software businesses. I think you previously used an example. It's a very old school example of um, the way they used to put elevators into buildings. You know, once you put an elevator in, you're not going to take it out. So I suppose that's the original sticky product. Yeah, elevators are great businesses. They're brilliant business because, you know, when you, when you, when you build a skyscraper, you put an elevator in there and yeah. that elevator is never leaving. The only time that elevator is leaving is if you tear down the entire business. And so what happens with elevator companies, funnily enough, is they get these like, you know, 
century long service contracts because you have to service them by the provider. So Otis is there making money every single year off these elevators that were put in 40 years ago that are never coming out. So it's a really good recurring revenue business. So we can think of enterprise software as kind of the elevator and the company, the building around it is the company built up around it. And if you take out the spine of it, I suppose the whole thing falls down around your ears. Very much so. The last one I want to talk about then is the idea of a growing industry. So obviously a core tenant in the idea of investing is that your investments will grow and I suppose it makes sense then that your investments won't grow if the company itself is not growing and the company itself will not grow if it's not part of a growing industry. Is it as simple as that? Yeah, this is one that sounds obvious, um, but yeah, still, you should be keeping an eye on it. You want to be investing in growing industries for the most part. Uh, if you look at something like brick and mortar retail, for example, it, that's been steadily declining over the last decade. Now, it might yeah. get a boost uh, in the next kind of couple of months because, you know, the economy is reopening after coronavirus. But gener- generally, it's been declining. Um, now, there have been some winners in that space. Uh, Home Depot is a very good example yeah. of a brick and mortar retailer that booked the trend. And that's something that's kind of intrinsic to Home Depot. People don't like buying the stuff Home Depot sells online. It's much easier to go to the warehouse and the, the you know, Home Depot always has giant car parks. It's very easy to get to and, and and to get parked. And there's friendly customer service reps there who help you and give you guidance. That, that's a good example of, of, of a business that's booking the trend. Yeah. But in general, you want to be investing in industries that are growing. And in, 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 if you're investing in industries that are growing, you'll see a lot more options out there, a lot more chances to succeed in a space where, you know, it's kind of a rising tide is lifting all ships kind of idea. And so in terms of like, you know, looking for stocks, you should be reading about new technologies, you know, trying to f- read about new trends that are happening in the world. Green technology is obviously a massive growing industry right now. It's something that's on everyone's minds. It's, yeah. A lot of money is, is flowing into this idea of green energy, green companies. Um, over-the-top streaming has been a growing trend for 10 years. E-commerce, big growing trend still to this day, even though it seems like it's been around for, for decades, it's still growing. Uh, digital payments along with that, along with e-commerce. Um, this idea of digital transformation in the workspace. So companies investing in in digital assets and, and, their, and their digital infrastructure is a, is a kind of trend we've been seeing over the last 10 years that we think is going to continue going. Uh, autonomous driving is one that's kind of a more much more of a kind of speculative one you know, you, get, you can see yeah. some that are a bit more speculative than we know are happening right now but even things like telemedicine and you know and sports gambling was legalized in the United States a couple of years ago that's definitely a growing industry yeah uh, the kind of disclaimer to all this is that when something is growing when an industry is growing rapidly what you'll find is there can be a lot of hype surrounding some companies and companies can become very overvalued in a very short space of time. Yeah. And so even though, you know, if, even if you find something in a growing industry, you still need to do your research. You know, and then for everything I've mentioned so far in this podcast, it's none of these things are like absolute go out and invest in this company right now. These are all signs that this might be a good investment. Yeah. You still have to go in and do more research on the business, which is something we're going to talk about in the next podcast. Yeah. Well, speaking of the next podcast, this is the end of this podcast. So in this episode, we talked about everything from company culture to competitive advantage. In the next episode, we're going to look deeper into things like balance sheets, cash and debt and sales growth. We'll see you then. That's it for today's episode. If you like what you're hearing and want to level up your investing game, take the first step by heading over to mywallstreet.com to get access to our free stock analysis.